Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as someone having authority, not as the scribes. Just then, immediately, there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us? Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions and crying with a loud voice came out of him. They were all amazed. And they kept on asking one another, what is this? A new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. At once, Jesus' fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the gospel of the Lord. Bob fought unclean spirits all the time. And himself at the church all around. The first time I met Bob, I was leading service by myself for the first time where I did internship at St. John's in Glendale, Arizona. Bob staggered onto campus wearing three different coats, sport goggles, and had a large buck knife hanging from his belt. He mumbled his first words to me, who are you and who do you serve? Talk about a greeting. I quickly and as kindly as I could introduced myself and asked who he was. He said, they call me Bob. I'm a warrior of the Lord. Okay, Bob, church starts in five minutes, and I just want to make it there alive. <laughs> and by this time, I am, I am sweating bullets, which was normal in Arizona, but it is way worse, way worse this time. And so I ask Bob if he's been here before, and he says, are you getting cross with me? No, 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 Bob. Um, Lord, no. Please, I think to myself, I just want to make it through the first service alone. <laughs> Finally, I, I told Bob that he was welcome to join us. We'd be happy to have him, but the knife stays out here. He says, oh, no, 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 I know. Maybe I will. Or I might be right here. Bob didn't join us that day. But he kept coming back. Each time, he was a little less threatening, and we got to know one another. Bob felt he had real demons, unclean spirits attacking him or surrounding him wherever he was. He would patrol the perimeter of the campus to ward them off. He would point at them. And curse them, unafraid to walk right up to them. For Bob, expelling demons was just a part of his everyday life. 
I suspect that for many of us, we don't know what to do with stories like this in the Bible about casting out demons or exercising clean spirits, unclean spirits. We think that we are so different from my friend Bob or from the person in the story. After all, we don't really believe in those types of things, do we? We have science, the scientific method. None of that proves that there is an existence of demons and unclean spirits, right? In our Western minds, demons and unclean spirits exist only in indigenous cultures or scary movies that I will never see or in folks who are seriously mentally ill. But should we be so quick to dismiss the notion? I mean, just because we don't understand or haven't had the same experiences doesn't mean that they aren't real, does it? I asked our faith formation students a couple of weeks ago if they thought angels and demons existed. And their opinions were across the spectrum. All the way from absolutely they do, I've experienced them, to absolutely not. And I like what Mary Oliver has to say about this in her poem, The World I Live In. She writes, I have refused to live locked in the orderly house of reasons and proofs. The world I live in and believe in is much wider than that. In any way, what's wrong with maybe? You wouldn't believe what once or twice I've seen. I'll just tell you this. Only if there are angels in your head will you ever possibly see one. Cannot the same be true for unclean spirits? I'm not trying to sway you or convince you to believe that demons or angels are real. That's not my point. However, we should not write off others' experiences so quickly. Like my friend Bob or the man in the story. If anything, perhaps our understanding of unclean spirits is far too narrow, which means that our view of Jesus' power and ministry is too narrow too. Jesus, along with his first four disciples, they strolled into Capernaum. And on the Sabbath, Jesus walked right up and began teaching in the synagogue. No invitation, just goes right in. He must have been feeling rather confident. Maybe from seeing the heavens rip open at his baptism. Maybe it's from withstanding the devil's temptation in the wilderness. Regardless of why, he taught with authority. As one who is sure and passionate about what he's saying. And in the midst of that, a man immediately appears with an unclean spirit. That's what we read in the text. A man with an unclean spirit. Yet what the Greek says is just a little more, you know, terrifying. It reads, a man in an unclean spirit. As if this unclean spirit had swallowed the man up. So much so that he could no longer be identified apart from this thing that had overtaken him. He was known only by something that had control over him, running and ruining his life. 
So when the man cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus? I don't think he's referring to all the people in the synagogue. But instead referring to himself and the demon he can't shake. And asking if Jesus had come to destroy them makes it clear. Man was consumed. Terrified. And wondered what Jesus would do. We too, we too know what it's like to be swallowed up by unclean spirits. So much so that our identity is unknown apart from the demon we have. We don't call it an unclean spirit or a demon. But when you get so angry that you can't see straight, what else is that? Or when you fixate your gaze on a person or a screen or on sex. When you obsess about always getting more. More stuff, more money. When you can't see the good things right in front of you and only wish you had what your neighbor has. When someone knows you not for who you are, but only for what and who you stand against. Anger, lust, greed, jealousy, hatred, all of these are spirits that can swallow us up so that no one can see you apart from them. They can run and ruin your life. And so maybe you too know what it's like to be consumed, terrified, and unsure what Jesus can and will do. This story, the first public action of Jesus' ministry, tells us that Jesus is more powerful than any unclean spirit we could face. With as much authority as he taught with, Jesus commands the unclean spirit to shut up and come out, setting the man free. And the spirit does just that, but doesn't go without a fight, shaking and screaming until the end. We've all been possessed by unclean spirits. Powers that hurt you and others. Voices telling you that you aren't loved. Things that seek to divide, disparage, and denigrate. And we all seek to be free. Thankfully, that's what the mission and ministry of Jesus is all about. And baptism, when we come to the font, is as if the heavens rip open for us too and God claims you as God's own and covers you with a grace and forgiveness that only Jesus can offer. And rather than a life full of anger and greed, jealousy and hatred, both at the font and at the table, we're invited and empowered to live a life of peace and generosity, disciplined and love. But how do we experience all of that outside of this place and this space? For some of us, the path of healing and freedom is longer and requires a few more companions along the way. 
like the unending support of a Stephen minister. The persistent presence of Al-Anon meetings and sponsors, a parent support group, a prayer partner, a fantastic therapist. We can be confident that God works in all of these ways and in ways that we may not even notice to liberate us from the things that try to control us. What is the unclean spirit that swallows you up? What's that thing that tries to run and ruin your life? Often we're too scared to name it. To look at it, to examine it for what it is. Something that hurts you and others. In case it takes greater hold of us. How's that going for you? Instead, I wonder if we could take a cue from my friend Bob. Rather than ignore or deny it, why don't you point at it? Curse it, even. Be unafraid to walk right up to it and to ask God to free you from all of that which threatens you. Trusting that Jesus is still more powerful than any spirit we could face. Maybe we aren't so different from my friend Bob, from the man in the story, after all. Amen.